Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the only free 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Bring your A-game. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Hey there. Happy Thursday to you. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And, yep, it's Thursday. It's it's a happy Thursday, but unfortunately, it is not a Nando Thursday. Nando couldn't make it for today's show. That stinks, but I'm still going to have a great show for you. Uh, lots to talk about, too. We had the uh, first look at the Blue Jays' uh, bullpen without uh, Roberto Ozuna. I will fill you in on what happened there. We've got an Adam Eaton, Eaton update. We've got Yasiel Puig uh, back with the Dodgers uh, and uh, lots of big uh, hitting and pitching performances on Wednesday to to get through. I'm probably going to spend a considerable amount of time talking about Patrick Corbin, who overall had a pretty nice start against the Dodgers, uh, back-to-back starts for him against the Dodgers, also back-to-back starts with him averaging uh, with uh, exit, or not exit velocity, fastball velocity, exiting his pitching hand, perhaps, uh, below 90 miles an hour. Well below where he has been uh, the rest of the season. Uh, also, I think we, we may have a late uh, addition to the show rundown here. I just got a note, I think, from Mike Florio. Uh, that he's got a bunch of trade offers he can run by me. Oh, after the show. <laughs> well, if I'm, if I'm uh, running... Uh, uh, short on material. Uh, <laughs> he's not saying he could do it on the show. Uh, we'll see. We may have some some trade proposals. That that could be fun. So I'll keep you in suspense as to whether or not we get to that. Uh, lots to get to. And also two-star pitchers. We'll fill you in on that. And I want to make sure I get to that today uh, because while there is no Nando today, on the last Nando Thursday, you may recall if you tuned in, uh, that we had Alan Jager as a guest from Jager Sports, and it's always great to talk about Alan, always such great insight, uh, especially on pitching. And after Alan left the show, Nando had some ideas about some follow-up questions, which, by the way, Alan heard because he tuned into the show, which is awesome. Uh, But anyway, so I I basically looked for an excuse to get Alan back on here as quick as possible. Uh, And also, we didn't even get to a discussion of analytics which I really wanted to do with Alan. So all of that is coming up on tomorrow's show. So I want to make sure I get to as much uh, week eight stuff on today's show and not leave that for tomorrow. Although I will take your, your Twitter questions tomorrow. Uh, so so there is that. So lots to look forward to tomorrow. But hey, we're, we're just starting today's show. So let's, uh, let's get to that. Uh, so uh, as I mentioned just a moment before, before, uh, of course, uh, we, we now know the news of Roberto Ozuna being arrested on Tuesday uh, for assault. And uh, so he's on administrative leave and, uh, you know, not really much of an indication in terms of what uh, uh, John Gibbons was going to do with the bullpen. Well, we, we got to see on uh, Wednesday exactly how that might, uh, might go for the Blue Jays because they did beat the Mariners. Five to two, uh, they had, uh, thanks to a, an eighth run or eighth inning rally, uh, a three run lead to take it to the ninth inning. So we don't didn't necessarily get to see how that was gonna set up from the earlier innings, and I have to wonder if maybe that doesn't make this game the best indicator of how every save situation will go, because uh, heading. Into the bottom of the eighth, the Mariners were actually up two to one. So maybe Gibbons would would manage this a little bit differently uh, if he had a lead earlier than that. But uh, so Jaime Garcia was the starter. He made it five innings, and then Sung Wan Oh pitched the sixth. 
John Axford pitched the seventh. Ryan Tapera, who I figured was the front runner based on usage patterns to uh, get the first shot at a save, he pitched the top of the eighth. And again, remember, this is with a one-run deficit. And then the Blue Jays, uh, as I said, they rallied in the bottom of the eighth, uh, built a 5-2 to two lead. So maybe by process of elimination, maybe not. Uh, Tyler Clippard got the first save chance uh, since uh, Ozuna's uh, placement administrative league and uh, made good with it. Uh, scoreless inning and uh, got a couple of strikeouts. So Tyler Clippard getting his first save of the year. And so again, I'm not entirely sure how uh, how that's going to play out long term, but I didn't. I kind of put Clippard a little bit on the outside of that that situation. Uh, I mean, he has been used at times as the eighth inning setup guy in Toronto, but uh, this is somebody who's always been extremely fly ball prone. It's not really a a great look in a hitter's park like Rogers Center or in a division like the AL East um, can also be prone to walking too many batters. So it just didn't seem like he was necessarily the best choice, but just because I don't think he's the best choice doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to get save chances going forward. So we'll have to have to see how that goes. We have uh, an update on Adam Eaton from the Washington Post that he is going to get a second opinion on his injured injured ankle, of course, he's already been out uh, far longer than was uh, initially anticipated. So we'll have to wait just a little bit longer, perhaps, to get uh, an updated uh, diagnosis and timetable for uh, Adam Eaton. Yeah, so Puig was uh, activated off the DL yesterday and right away got uh, into the swing of things with a three-hit game against the Diamondbacks. So uh, it seems like this has happened a lot lately where somebody's been on DL a long time. I think that happened with Beltre too, maybe somebody else recently that I can't remember, uh, where it just come right off of the DL and start hitting. So good sign from Yasiel Puig. And also some pretty good news uh, for Clayton Kershaw, who uh, threw yesterday uh, to uh, up to a distance of 60 feet, just threw for five minutes, according to MLB.com, but uh, some progress there for Clayton Kershaw. And a massive Bumgarner update from Hank Schulman of the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, Bumgarner is scheduled to throw a bullpen session next week. And if all goes well, maybe within a roughly a two-week timetable, Bumgarner could start a minor league rehab. So that's pretty exciting because uh, if we're looking at a couple of weeks, you know, we're looking at uh, about the last week of May. And, uh, you know, maybe he's back then sometime early, mid-June, not too far away. So basically, maybe even a little less than a month away from the return of Madison Bumgarner. And while we're talking about uh, ace pitchers on the DL, working their way back, Johnny Cueto, of course, very recently placed on the DL. uh, But we had the relatively good news within the last couple of days that Cueto's not going to... uh, uh, have to have Tommy John surgery. He just has an elbow sprain, not a full tear. And uh, however, he's going to be out for a while because uh, the Giants did move him from the fifth or the ten-day DL to the 60-day DL. So uh, that means at earliest Johnny Cueto can come back to the Giants would be sometime in early July. Greg Bird uh, is beginning his rehab assignment today with uh, Tampa in the Florida State League, according to Yes Network. The Phillies activated Ben Lively, but uh, no room in the rotation. I kind of foresaw this. I'm sure everybody did. Uh, the the Probably the most obvious odd man out would have uh, been Zach Eflin, and Eflin's been pitching really well. So Lively, who did struggle quite a bit before going on the DL, he was sent to Lehigh Valley to don the Iron Pig jersey. And just a blatant uh, uh, opportunity there for me to say the words Iron Pig. Red Sox left-handed pitching prospect Jason Groom is going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery. So obviously 2018 and a good chunk of 2019 is uh, out for Jason Groom. So that's, that's a very, very tough break there. So uh, we've got one game in progress right now. And that's the uh, Phillies and Giants. So let's take a quick look into that. 
and then we'll see what's going on with the lineups and weather. But right now it is a five to three lead for the Phillies. Uh, the seventh inning stretch right now uh, at Citizens Bank Park. So uh, let's see. We got uh, that was uh, Vince Velasquez starting in that one and uh, made it six innings for uh, a guy that often uh, struggles to make it six innings. Velasquez not only went six innings, finished with 12 strikeouts in this one, only one walk. Did give up uh, home runs to Gregor Blanco and Alan Hansen. And if you recall from yesterday's show, I was very concerned. I shouldn't say very concerned. Concerned enough about the matchup of Hansen versus Nick Pavetta that I, uh, in a daily lineup league, decided not to pick Pavetta up and picked up Joey Lucchese instead. Uh, so Pavetta had no problem shutting down Alec Hansen, or uh, not Alec Hansen, uh, Alan Hansen. Uh, but he has homered off of Invis Velasquez, and like I said, so has Gregor Blanco. But that's been most of the damage. Uh, three runs and in six innings for Velasquez, as I mentioned. 12 strikeouts, one walk, five hits total. So overall, pretty nice outing for Vince Velasquez. Um, and at the home park there, too. And then we saw another appearance from Sir Anthony Dominguez relieving Velasquez. Uh, scoreless inning with one strikeout. This was a tie block start. Uh, and he only made it four and a third, giving up uh, all five runs to the Phillies in that one. I'm going to talk about tie block a little bit later on because he projects to be a two-start pitcher in uh, the upcoming week eight. So uh, have a little bit more discussion there on block. And I also should mention something I'm going to talk about a little later on in the show as well, but Carlos Santana, who had a very good game on Wednesday, homered for the Phillies in this one, uh, a, a three-run homer for Santana. So he seems to be heating up as well. All right, let's take a, a little check in on the lineups. There were no nighttime lineups at uh, the start of this hour when I began the show. Wasn't sure what I was going to find here. But now we've got uh, four lineups in. And maybe uh, as I go over those, we'll have some more. But um, there are nine games on the night slate tonight. Um, so for the 7 o'clock games, yeah, we've got, got four of those and none of the late, late lineups as of yet. But Yankees, Red Sox, that's uh, going to be the lefties, Eduardo Rodriguez and CC Sabathia tonight. No Yankees lineup yet, but uh, for the Red Sox, uh, we have, we do have Andrew Benintendi in the lineup. I was sort of half expecting not to see him in there, but once again, it's Jackie Bradley Jr. that uh, is not in the starting lineup. So we've got Benintendi, Betts, and J.D. Martinez in the outfield. We've got Hanley Ramirez at DH, and you guessed it, we've got Mitch Moreland at first base and batting sixth. Moreland on a nice tear. We'll talk about him a little bit later on. Royals and Orioles, that's a 7.05 Eastern start at Camden Yards. Lineups for both teams are in, and um, nothing there too unusual. Let's take a look at the Orioles lineup real quick. Got Jace, Jace Peterson at third base against Ian Kennedy. Uh, Pedro Alvarez at DH. So um, no Danny Valencia, but he hasn't been playing much against righties anyway. Uh, yep, we've got Trumbo, uh, Jones, and Mancini in the outfield. So I guess the odd man out would be Anthony Santander uh, with Peterson at third and Alvarez at DH. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for those. No lineups yet for Mariners Blue Jays. That's Mike Leake and Jay Happ. That's a 7-7 start at Rogers Center. And then the last of those 7 o'clock Eastern starts, 7-10 at Marlins Park, uh, the, the Braves and the Marlins, Mike Fultonevich and Caleb Smith. No Marlins lineup yet, but against the lefty Caleb Smith, we have, well, Ender Enciarte has been moving up the lineup. He was batting seventh. Yesterday he's batting sixth now, even against a lefty. Jose Bautista batting seventh. I think he's been moving down the spot. Camargo in there uh, batting eighth. So, yeah, it looks like a pretty much standard lineup there for the uh, Atlanta Braves. 
So anything more that comes up, uh, at least in the next few minutes, I'll circle back and check those. But let's look in on the weather real quick. I don't think there's going to be too much here to worry about. Uh, but a couple of games on the East Coast just to uh, monitor as we get closer and closer to game time. That Red Sox-Yankees game, a just a 14% chance of precipitation at game time. But that does increase into the 30s uh, a little bit later in the night. So um, maybe a, a possibility for a delay or maybe even a late start in that one. And then Royals and Orioles uh, in Baltimore. Uh, that one looks uh, a little dicier, perhaps. Uh, and, and Well, I would say dicier for a late start, but maybe not as risky in terms of any kind of delay that might endanger the starting pitchers and, and uh, you know their ability to go deep. Uh, there's a 35% chances of precipitation in Baltimore at game time, uh, but that's actually on the wane from earlier in the evening. And then by eight o'clock, it's down to a 3% chance. So maybe a late start in Baltimore. Uh, that seems to be the way, worst case scenario. So I think the only one that looks like you really may have to worry about is Red Sox Yankee Yankees. And uh, that's not you know even looking too bad. So rest of the games tonight, Weather-wise, looking really good. So uh, let me just check barrel back, check back real quickly on lineups. Okay, no other lineups in as of yet, so that's probably going to be it for this show. But uh, well, we got to have a break in just a moment here. But uh, when we do come back, we'll be looking at the standout performances from Wednesday's games. And quite a few hitters and pitchers to look at. And as I said earlier, probably going to spend quite a bit of time breaking down Patrick Corbin's last couple of performances. The velocity's been down. The results have still been good. But can you trust those results? There's a lot to dig into there. So that I will do. The ticket to Patrick Corbin's last couple of starts. And uh, some bull other bullpen developments. Talk about Toronto. Look at some other bullpens. And two start pitchers. A whole bunch of them to look at and start to think about your week eight reputation. So stick around. Much, much more to come. I'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, lined up pretty much everything I got coming ahead in the show for you right before the break. I will get to that in just a moment. But I'm sure that you have heard about the DailyRoad.com Dollar Month here on the network. But I want to put it in some context for you. Let's say you buy a lottery ticket. You pay your dollar. You pick a bunch of numbers. And that's it. You clutch the ticket. And you hope. But now let's say that you tried the DailyRoad.com Dollar Month. You pay your dollar. You get access for 30 days. And then you're transported into a world that's produced five millionaires. Take destiny into your own hands. Go to dailyroto.com and enter the code $1. That is all spelled out. O-N-E dollar. All one word. Together. That's dailyroto.com and enter the code $1. So uh, let's take a look at some of the hitters that did really well on Wednesday. And maybe a couple that didn't do so well. Uh, Nomar Mazar, he gets top mention because he hit a couple of home runs. You hit multiple home runs. You get an earlier mention on the fantasy baseball hour with Alan Elker. So, uh, those were home runs. Number nine, numbers nine and 10 for Mazara. He has just been in an incredible hot streak of late. And, uh, if you have not already, make sure you check out Jay Jaffe's piece on fan graphs. 
uh, about Mazzara because he uh, details some of the things that are going well. And uh, I mean, I'll spoil it a little bit for you. He uh, There's a very nice uh, table here that outlines Mazzara's improvements, albeit in a very limited sample, but very dramatic improvements uh, on breaking pitches as compared to a year ago. And uh, also the improvements that Mazzara has made against left-handed pitchers. So uh, granted, small samples. Uh, Mazzara is building up his numbers with the big hot streak. We'll see what, what those numbers look like two, three weeks from now. But it certainly wouldn't be surprising to us uh, if, if Namar Mazzara were to have a breakout season in 2018. Uh, but we need a little bit more time. Uh, but certainly you, you want to you wanna start him if he's hot. And, you know, this is somebody who's starting in a lot of leagues under normal circumstances. And Mike Alfranco also uh, staying very hot. A three-hit game uh, against the Giants also hit his seventh home run of the year. Now, Carlos Santana, as I mentioned, is already homered today against the Giants. Uh, had a big game on Wednesday as well, and uh, owners have been waiting for Santana to get hot. He's been uh, popping up in a lot of Twitter questions about, uh, do I drop him? What do I do with Carlos Santana? Uh, so hopefully you held on to him because the, the power is definitely coming around. Homer today on Wednesday hit his 10th double of the season as part of a three-hit effort. Uh, so the numbers I'm looking at right now do not include today's game, but Coming into today, Santana had a matching 189 batting average and 189 BABIP, uh, so that's fun. Now, Santana historically has been a low BABIP guy, but nobody that I can think of is a sub-200 BABIP guy on any kind of consistent basis. I mean, if you think about who profiles to be you know, maybe the the worst Babbitt hitter. Uh, I mean, I know Ryan Schimpf is enough, but he's he's the first name that comes to mind. Um, but you know, somebody like that who hits all fly balls, hits uh, all pulled balls. Uh, you know, even that kind of hitter, you figure should hit about 250, maybe even 260 on uh, balls in play, not you know 189. And Santana has those tendencies, but they're they're not Ryan Schimpf like. Uh, they're a little bit more moderated. So uh, he should be really more like a 270, 280 BABIP guy, and he's at 190. And there's nothing particularly in his profile so far this year that would suggest that he's worse than that. So this, the the power's already there for Santana. He's got his ISO uh, up over over 200. That's you know pretty much what you want to see from him. The doubles power, that's you know something that's always been there. The plate discipline, something that's always there for Santana. So really, the last thing that's coming around for him is the batting average. That will come. Uh, right now, maybe that's not, is not the best time to try to make it offer for Santana, where he's very obviously getting hot. But I guess you could try and see what the what the price is on on Santana, and you know, he has a couple of games. Where he uh, you know comes away with no hits or one hit, um, maybe that's a good time to float an offer because all the signs look good for Santana except for the BABIP, and that is coming. That will come around. Xander Bogarts was a frequent topic of discussion on this show um, during the off season. I think I've said many times actually that he seemed to be one of the more polarizing players in terms of prognostications of draft value. And I found myself being a defender of Xander Bogarts. And the thing is, he's, you know, he's ha he had time off. Uh, he was hurt. But he's having a great season so far. And he had a, a great game on Wednesday against the Yankees. Uh, went three for five, hit his 11th double. And again, bear in mind, that's even you know missing some time on the DL. And he already has 11 doubles. Uh, the thing is that my defense of Bogarts really didn't give him that much benefit of the doubt. I mean, I looked at what he did last season and, you know, argued that he wasn't healthy. But, you know, even if you have some, you know, kind of more modest expectations for Bogarts, that given that he plays in Fenway, given that he gets a lot of uh, infield hits, that this is somebody who should be very reliable for batting average and being in the midst of the, the the Red Sox lineup should produce plenty of runs and, uh, you know, give you decent power, but not, I would expect big power. Well, Bogarts is making good. And then some on the expectations that I had. And I think those of us who were more optimistic about him, but this is also a case of somebody who, again, you know, maybe 
maybe this is like uh, Nomar Mazzara, and time will tell how much this will stick, but, but where he really seems to be a genuinely better hitter this year, and that, that power has come around for Bogarts. And like Mazzara, I mean, Bogarts is at an age where, you know, a, a breakout is not, not unexpected. I mean, this is his age 25 season. And so, you know, I would tend to give the benefit of the doubt on somebody just for that reason. If they've got some, you know, kind of mixed results going into their age 24, age 25 season, there's still that room for a breakout. Whereas if they're 29, that seems a whole lot less likely. I think it's much, it makes a lot more sense for a, a player at that stage of their career where you could say, okay, we know who this player is. But Bogarts, you know, he's really only been up a few years and every year is kind of a different story for him. So uh, I would tend to give him more of the benefit of the doubt. And and while I didn't foresee an increase in power for him, uh, genuine power, that's exactly what he's had. On uh, fly balls and line drives, Bogarts' average exit velocity last year, granted a bit of a down year for him, was only 90.8 miles an hour. This year so far... 97.0, huge increase. So Bogart's great stats, but backing it up with a lot of genuine power. And same deal for his teammate Mitch Moreland, who I also I would say he was as polarizing because most people just didn't care that much about Mitch Moreland coming into this year. And especially as we got closer to opening day and you were reading statements from Alex Cora saying, Handler Ramirez is my guy at first base. Uh, people really didn't care about Mitch Moreland. But I will say, I, I was a Moreland defender at that point. And my biggest regret of the 2018 fantasy season at this point, where we're not even quite one-fourth of the way into it, my biggest regret is that I think after about two, maybe three weeks, I cut Mitch Moreland in Tout Wars. Because I listened to the naysayers, I looked at the playing time pattern, I thought, this guy is not going to get a chance to play. And so I kind of threw out a lot of my the rationales uh, that I used to draft him in the first place. The good news is I still own Moreland on several other teams. But I really could use his bat in Tout Wars, and I forget which owner has him now. Uh, uh, Zach Steinhorn, actually. And uh, so... I threw him away on, on waivers and uh, now would have to probably pay a, a pretty nice price for Moreland, whose playing time is increasing more and more as he hits more and more. And on Wednesday, he had his sixth homer of the season, took his batting average up now to 342. Uh, so, you know, definitely not a buy low moment on, on Mitch Moreland. Um, but if you got him, uh, good good for you. And also that same game, uh, Brett Gardner, a couple of doubles and a triple. He's now up to five doubles on the year, so had a terrible start, but seems to be maybe be coming out of it. Uh, Tyler Naquin, a couple of hits, including his second home run of the year against the Brewers. Uh, I've considered picking up Naquin in some deep deeper leagues, but it's, I just don't really trust the playing time for him. I mean, he's getting pretty steady starts against righties but it's really not been enough. But that's you know, certainly in daily lineup leagues, Naquin is somebody to uh, not ignore because as we saw a couple seasons ago, there is some power there, uh, particularly uh, against right-handed pitchers. Tasker Hernandez really got cold after a very good start to the season. He's still increasing uh, the top of the stack cast leaderboards in terms of exit velocity, but... Um, Hasn't really helped him much over the 15 game, most recent games heading into Wednesday. Hernandez was batting just 194, but he did have a 403 slugging. So if you do the subtraction there, that's a 200-plus ISO. And the power never really left Tasker Hernandez. And he did hit his sixth home run on Wednesday against the Mariners, as well as, as, well as his ninth double. Uh, those were two of his three hits, so triple short of the cycle. So hopefully uh, Hernandez getting back on track in terms of batting average, but the, the power has actually really already been there. And uh, for Rotographs earlier today, I wrote a waiver wire piece. I included a couple of catchers that you could consider as a second catcher, probably more so in the deeper league, uh, but consider as a second catcher, maybe if you just need an upgrade or if you're missing uh, Yadier Molina. 
And the catchers I mentioned were Mitch Garver and uh, Devin Mazzarocco. And, of course, Mazzarocco been in the news uh, because of just getting traded to the Mets. And that, that's a big, big uh, improvement to his value in fantasy with uh, what should be a big bump in playing time. Uh, Garver, definitely check him out if you need a, a catcher because with Jason Castro on the shelf, he's going to get a lot of playing time. And if you look at his current stats, they're not bad, but they actually should improve. Uh, has good play discipline. A history of the minors of being a decent, if not a great, contact hitter. And uh, could could be hitting with a lot more power than he already has. And the, the power's not been bad for Garver in, in limited playing time. But I probably should have included a third catcher. And this is definitely more of a deep league thing because with Garver and Mezzarocco, there's a pretty strong guarantee there of playing time. But Luke Maley is having a really nice season. He's hitting 309. He's got a 387 on base percentage. He uh, got a couple of hits on uh, Wednesday against the Mariners, including his first triple of the year. And so this is somebody, again, who's hitting for average, backing it up with uh, a 95.7 mile an hour average exit velocity on flies and liners. And uh, coming pretty close to an equal split with Russell Martin in playing time. And this is the reason why I've kind of ignored Maley up to this point, but he's starting to play a bit more. So uh, in a league where just to give you as an example, my tout wars league uh, where I waited until the last possible second to get catcher. So I've really struggled there. Um, Still starting Alex Avila, who's barely playing and really not hitting that well. So for me, Maley would be a nice upgrade over Alex Avila. That's the, the sort of, deeper league second catcher upgrade I'm talking about. Daniel Palco with a three-hit game against the Pirates, including his third home run, and he actually reached four times. So he also walked. So Palco off to a pretty nice start with the White Sox. I don't know exactly how long his shelf life is because once, obviously, El Garcia comes back, I think that would be an end to his playing time, although you know maybe he could cut into Nicky Delmonico's. Um, I'm not sure. That's one to watch. I'm, I'm not really... Even in deeper leagues, going crazy to pick up Palka because where I've talked about a lot of these other hitters that I mentioned backing up their performance with high exit velocity or good hard contact rate or whatever. Palka, not so much. So, but he has a nice home park, so that 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 will help him out somewhat. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, who's also by the way somebody I included in that waiver wire piece, but more as a stash for the future because he's just not playing much now. But he did get his third triple, and he walked twice against the Reds. So that great plate discipline that he showed in the minors, very much uh, with him right now. I think his O-swing rate, is otherwise known as his chase rate, is under 20%. So, I mean, just the, the plate discipline for Brandon Nimmo is immaculate. Uh, it's, he just needs the playing time opportunity, and whether that involves a move of Jay Bruce to first base or uh, some sort of injury in the outfield. As as I would say, and the, perfect to say on a Nando Thursday because this is really an expression I stole from Nando. These things tend to work themselves out. If Nando were here, I'm sure he'd be saying that. So uh, not a bad time to stash Brandon Nimmo while he's actually available. Not quite universally, but close to it. Really, a couple of hitters that have really struggled so far. Ian Kinsler and I got a bit of a late start to a season, but we're still. Kind of waiting for him to warm up. And even, of course, he field on Wednesday, not too much production, just a single and a walk. Uh, but the, here's the problem with Kinsler, because I do have him in some leagues, and I've gotten questions from people about whether or not to drop Kinsler. And the waiver wire options at second base, unless it's a really shallow league, are pretty brutal. So I don't. I wish I could sit here and give you reasons to have really strong faith that uh, Ian Kinsler is going to you know, pull off some big uh, uh, you know, hot streak in the near future. I don't really have that. I basically just have, you got the, the long-term track record with Kinsler. He's uh, got some run-producing opportunities in Anaheim. And your other option's pretty bad. So I wish I, I, wish I had a more optimistic uh, answer to give you there. And also, I got an email question from Ken Good Goody, and I apologize if uh, I'm not pronouncing your name correctly uh, on either of those tries. Uh, is there any news on why Billy Hamilton isn't stealing? I know he's uh, batting ninth and his average is down, 
but OP, OBP is actually up on last year and over his career mark. He's only attempted six stolen bases and 126 plate appearances, three times worse than his career average attempt rate. So, Ken, you have done your homework on Billy Hamilton. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really have a good answer for you. I can't tell you that, um, by the way, went over three with a strikeout on Wednesday. Uh, he's eight for his last 23, so the batting average is coming up. But he has now gone 14 games in a row without a steal and just one steal and two tries over his last 26 games. Can you believe this is Billy Hamilton we're talking about? I don't have the answer, but the good news is on Monday, see Trent Rosecrans is going to be on the show. The Reds beat writer with The Athletic. He's going to look into it for us. So just hang on. Maybe we'll have some Billy Hamilton insight. Anyways, got ahead to break right now. Pitcher standouts and two start pitchers coming up right after this break. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone, we promise. No weird viruses. No strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And if you want a chance to win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game, just go to dailyroto.com slash DKMS and take a crack at playing free daily fantasy baseball. You can play every day. It's totally free. And the contests are sponsored by DKMS, who are looking for your help in the fight against blood cancer. Every three minutes, an American is diagnosed with blood cancer, and only 30% of all blood donor patients are able to find a compatible bone marrow donor in their own family. So go to dailyroto.com DKMS and find out how you can help eradicate blood cancer and play free daily fantasy baseball with a shot at winning two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. So lots of pitchers to talk about. Uh, as I, I promised uh, much, much earlier in the show, I'm going to... Break down the numbers for Patrick Corbin, but first, uh, just like if you hit two homers, you get an early mention in the show. If you uh, get double-digit strikeouts, uh, you're going to get top billing, and that goes to Carlos Carrasco, who uh, yesterday at Milwaukee pitched a complete game, uh, allowed two runs on five hits, just one walk, but 14 big Ks for Carrasco, so that went a long, long way towards getting his strikeout rate back up to where we're accustomed to seeing it, because that's looked a little funny with him. He's had sort of a mediocre strikeout rate. But again, when you're this early in the season, it's still early-ish May, going into mid-May. Uh, <laughs> innings are, uh, the, the totals are low enough that uh, a nice start like that makes a big difference. So, And we can all be reassured, I think, about Carlos Carrasco, who's been just fine. And Patrick Corbin has uh, been just fine in terms of results. Did just go five innings against the Dodgers on Wednesday, uh, but only one run allowed, only three hits. Did allow four walks, but let's put that into context. And also, before we put that into context, seven strikeouts. So you, you, you certainly, other than the four walks, no argument with that line. You are happy to get, I, I would be, I can't tell you what you're happy with. I'd be happy with that line from Patrick Corbin. Uh, so it's the first time that Corbin has issued more than two walks all season long. And not only is that a nice uh, achievement for Patrick Corbin, it's sort of, a, in a way, an unexpected one because he's got one of the lowest zone percentages, the rate at which he locates his pitches in the strike zone, one of the lowest ones in the majors among uh, qualified pitchers, qualified starting pitchers. And the reason, as you probably, if you're thinking ahead, you could probably figure out why that is, that even though he works outside the zone a lot, Gets a lot of chases. Um, at one point, I know he had the highest chase rate. I don't know if he still does. Um, in fact, I think last time I looked, uh, I think it was Miles Michaelis that had the highest chase rate. But Patrick Corbett's been, you know, right there. He's, you know, certainly made this work for him. 
in this start against the Dodgers, the chase rate was 18.5%. That's really, really low. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's like Ronaldo Lopez, like hold my beer low uh, for a chase rate. Uh, it's the first time all season that Patrick Corbin's had a chase rate below 33%. And keep in mind that the norm is typically around like 29, 30%. So Corbin's been above average, not just like on the season for a whole, but consistently start after start after start after start. Uh, better than average at getting hitters to chase bad pitches. Dodgers weren't having it. Now, was it because Corbin was averaging around 89 miles an hour uh, with his fastball in the start for the second start in a row? Or is it maybe because the Dodgers have the most selective hitters in the major leagues? By far, they've got the lowest swing rate on pitches outside the zone of any team in the majors. And by the way, the team that is second in a good distance behind them is the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, who Corbin never has to face. So uh, it's a bit of a conundrum as to what to make of that. But the, the previous start, start that Corbin had, the first one where his velocity was down about three ticks from where it had, it had been in most starts this season, around 89 instead of 92, um, he, got, he had that high chase rate in the first start. So I don't know if it's a case of where the Dodgers saw the lower velocity and adjusted. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, we're we're going to need more data here on Patrick Corbin. But uh, I, I will say, in my rundown, I entitled this section, I'm freaking out about Patrick Corbin. So that's going to sort of telegraph where I'm going to take this <laughs> take this analysis. Uh, so in, in these two starts, these two most recent starts that Corbin's had against the Dodgers with severely decreased velocity, he has a 164 ERA. That's awesome, obviously. A 258 WOBA allowed. That is, I know that's a more obscure stat than ERA, but in case you, you, you're you not sure what that means, it's great. I mean, even a 300 WOBA is, you know, pretty lukewarm uh, 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 production offensively, and he's limited them in these two starts to a 258 WOBA. Uh, however, you knew that was coming. He has limited them to a 200 BABIP rate, and again, no matter how good you are, at avoiding hits on balls in play. Nobody's that good. And he has a 95, 94% strand rate in those two starts, which, again, not even the, the best pitchers uh, can do. Anything really much above 80% is is a red flag for regression. Uh, his XFIP in these two starts has been 4.09. Not disastrous, but not anywhere close to a 1.64 ERA. His striker rate is 27%, which is very good, but down from where it has been this season. And here is where these last two stats are what really, really have me concerned about Patrick Corbin. Because it's not only the fact that he gets all these chases on bad pitches, that um, you know he's been getting the strikeouts, he's avo avoided the walks. Those are great things. But what really has completed the picture for Patrick Corbin and made him ace-like up to this point is that he's also gotten ground balls. And in the last two starts against the Dodgers, a 31% ground ball rate, which is really, really, really low. And that's, so that means more fly balls, line, more line drives, and the exit velocity on fly balls and line drives in those two starts, 94.7 miles an hour. Again, not a total disaster, but not really very good. So this is somebody who's throwing not nearly as hard Still being deceptive enough to get strikeouts, although, again, this most recent start with the 18.5% chase rate, you're thinking, okay, if that kind of carries over into future starts, granted, he's going to be facing teams that aren't as selective as the Dodgers. But even if it's like bounces back to like 27%, that's low enough that you got to figure that the strikeouts and the walks would go in a bad direction. Okay, but again, even if you want to be optimistic about the strikeout part and the walk part of of what Corbin can produce going forward, the fact that he's allowing so few ground balls and that he's allowing the airborne balls to be hit as hard as they're being hit, that is really worrisome. Uh, fortunately, they've got the humidor chase field. 
So maybe for most of the start, he's going to be fine. Maybe for the home starts, he's going to be fine. Maybe, you know, San Diego, San Francisco, uh, you know, a lot of starts in those places. So maybe overall Corbin is going to be deceptive enough and have good enough environments that the bulk of his starts, he's going to be okay. Colorado, (laughs) right? That's not going to be so good. Maybe, Uh, you know, a lot of the parks around the NL. Uh, could be a little bit hazardous for Patrick Corbett. So all of this is really speculative. It's only two starts, and maybe he goes out the next time. And, uh, in fact, the next time is at home against Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, so maybe he goes uh, uh, back to Chase Field, and everything's not only hunky-dory in terms of uh, not giving up a bunch of extra base hits, but maybe that, that philosophy gets back up to 91 or 92. That would be awesome. But it, what it does mean for that starting against the Brewers, definitely got to keep an eye on that velocity and what the results are. And not only the results on the surface, but you know, is he getting more ground balls again? Is he getting swings on, on bad pitches? Those are all things we've got to watch really, really closely with Patrick Corbin. Because it, if it's another start with a similar pattern, then we might have to start getting picky about when we start and sit Patrick Corbin. I don't think we have to be picky right now about Julio Tehran. Uh, he has been on a hot streak, and that continued against the Rays. Uh, now, this is at the trop, so I have to admit I have some lingering concerns about Tehran. SunTrust Park, where he really got hammered last season, uh, but uh, overall just been on a, on a good run lately. Uh, and this one, six scoreless innings, four hits, no walks, seven Ks. So beautiful performance there against Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Nick Pavetta talked about him on yesterday's show and mentioned him earlier. Didn't start him in my daily lineup league yesterday. Could have picked him up and had uh, Mike Leone on the show yesterday. And he made the case that he thought Pavetta was a better choice than the guy I, I picked up and started Joey Lucchese. And I got to say, Mike totally nailed that. We'll talk about Lucchese in a second. But Pavetta only went five innings, got seven Ks, didn't give up a run, didn't walk anybody, only four hits. So despite the lack of innings, a really good start there for Nick Pavetta. Lucchese also five innings, uh, did start the sixth inning, uh, but got a little bit of trouble early and got bailed out uh, by, uh, I'm uh, blanking on the uh, reliever's name, former Nationals reliever. Uh, Craig Stammen. I knew I'd get it eventually. So got bailed out. The line could have been worse, but uh, Lucchese just one run allowed on six hits and a walk with six Ks. So pretty similar lines. Uh, and by the way, that was against the Nationals, Stammen's former team. But Pavetta, a, just a little bit better. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, who I picked on a little bit earlier in the show, uh, a very good start against the Pirates. Uh, seven in the third innings for him. Two runs on only three hits and only two walks. So encouraging to see for Ronaldo Lopez and six strikeouts. And Jaime Berea uh, has been surprisingly uh, good for the Angels and had a start at Colorado where you know you figure somebody with kind of questionable peripherals going to uh, course Field, they're going to get rocked. But instead, he threw five in a third scoreless innings on five hits with one walk and seven strikeouts. I, I'm still going to file this in the uh, the, the uh, Harlan Garcia folder. And, of course, Garcia had his comeuppance earlier this week. Uh, looked like his performance was unsustainable. I think uh, Berea is headed in the same direction. I don't quite get how he's doing this, but good start for him. A few quick uh, reliever notes and then uh, dedicate the rest of the show to star pitchers. Craig Kimbrell blew his second save of this young month of May. Both times it's been a home run. Uh, the first one, uh, which I think was uh, nine days ago, against the Royals, uh, it was Alex Gordon with, uh, I'm trying, I can't remember if that was a walk-off or something that's a, a homer that put into extra innings, but not even a blown save for Kimbrell there. This time it was an Aaron Judge two-run homer uh, for Kimbrell's second blown save of the year, but second blown save of the month. Corey Knable made his return uh, in a non-safe situation in the seventh inning with a deficit. And he did give up a home run to Francisco Lindor. So Knebel apparently being eased back in. I don't know if that means if we see another Josh Hader save or not in the near future. But um, a non-safe situation for Knebel and not a, a really a great result. And then Richard Blyer. 
He's just interesting. Uh, I mean, he might be somebody to consider in a really deep league, a holds league perhaps. Uh, does not get strikeouts at all. Uh, gets a ton of swings. I would say he's an extreme pitch-to-contact guy, but he just induces so many swings that there's there's very few called strikes. And, uh, you know, so very efficient uh, pitcher uh, who gets the ball put in play. Had a two-inning hold. And both innings, it was a ground out, a single, and then a grounded to double play. So that's kind of the, the the Blyer formula is, you know, he'll give up some hits, although he's very good at uh, actually preventing hits on balls in play because it's a lot of grounders, a lot of soft contact. Uh, I likened him, I, I sent out a tweet about him, I actually likened him to uh, Brad Ziegler, except the delivery's different and he's a lefty, but <laughs> uh, statistically a lot like Brad Ziegler. But uh, so far this year, Blyer's allowed only one run. He's already pitched 22 and two-thirds innings, so he's no he's no loogie. He's going in there for multiple inning stints, has just allowed one run, only three extra base hits all season. We're getting into mid-May, and he's given up three doubles, no triples, no homers, only 10 strikeouts, but only three walks. So a very strange profile for Blyer, but somebody who is racking up a lot of innings in middle relief might get you some holds might give you some really good ERA and whip help. So, for what that's worth. All right, we got just a few minutes left uh, for two-star pitchers. I apologize for going on so long with the other stuff. But let's come back to Patrick Corbin. He's got, as I mentioned before, the Brewers at home, Mets on the road, not bad matchups, not bad venues. Uh, and you, know, you got to make a decision. So I, I'd be inclined to start them. But I have to admit, I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Uh, Tyler Anderson, not a great start yesterday. But that was at Coors Field. Uh, he's got starts at San Diego, at San Francisco. I've already picked him up in one league that has a, a midweek early fab. Uh, to me, he is the guy to pick up for a two-start week. He gives you strikeouts, um, and, and those are good matchups at great venues. Trevor Williams, uh, also uh, good matchups, good venues at home against the White Sox and also at home against the Padres for Trevor Williams. So if you can't get Anderson... Trevor Williams, not a bad backup. Uh, both Chris Stratton and Ty Block are projected to start pitchers for the Giants at home versus Cincinnati and at home versus the Rockies. So really like those guys at home. And the Rockies, not a great hitting team away from Coors Field. So uh, also some options to consider. The aforementioned Reynaldo Lopez at the Pirates versus the Texas Rangers. Uh, Lopez, you do have to worry about, uh, get him getting swings on, you know, getting chases on, on bad pitches. So he really relies on, on teams to have some, some questionable plate discipline and, uh, the Rangers, the, you know, uh, they've, they've improved a little bit from last year, but they're, they're still below average in that regard. Uh, so that's, that's a start that, uh, could, uh, could help them a lot. Pirates are sort of actually they're kind of similar. So I don't know that that could be a decent two start week for Ronaldo Lopez. And uh, just to throw out a few more, I'm not really big on these, but again, these are kind of if you absolutely feel like you got to add a, a two start pitcher, you might consider Sal Romano or Sal Romano at the Giants at home versus the Cubs. Don't love that Cubs matchup though. Daniel Mengden at Boston at Toronto. Don't really like the matchups, but he's been all right. And Wade LeBlanc at Minnesota versus Detroit. Those last two, I tend to stay away from, but at least they're worth considering. Anyway, got that all in, but it's time to go. So I hope you can join me tomorrow with Alan Jager making a uh, return to the show. And uh, meanwhile, enjoy the slate tonight and have a good one, everybody.